0: Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. Whether you call GCC your home and family or you are visiting with us this morning, listening in, we welcome you. We are honored to have you joining us through this live stream. So I know some of you guys are going to be really disappointed by this, but this morning we are not going to do our one-minute memes. If you're visiting, it's your first time tuning in, we've been doing one-minute memes where we show some memes that are humorous because with all the bad news that's going on in the world, we want to show um, something that's humorous and bring in some laughter um, because we believe that ma- laughter is good medicine for the soul. We're not doing that just because I wanted to give you guys uh, that are visiting this morning uh, and just unfamiliar with our church just a little bit of the backstory um, with how we got to where we are today. And so Gospel Community Church planted about four and a half years ago uh, with six couples, so a really small gathering. And since then, it has grown to what it is right now. And so uh, it is. uh, we currently meet at the Downtown Athletic Club whenever all this that's going on isn't going on. Uh, But for the season right now, uh, obviously, we're having to meet this way. And so we would welcome you back to come and check out our church and, and the church plant that it is and that it's grown into uh, since four and a half years ago, where our mission statement is to make Jesus the hero. And so, um, obviously, uh, this is an interesting season that we find ourselves in. And, and, and so I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update, but also just a little bit of update, even what's, what's been going on inside of our own personal family is uh, a couple weeks ago, our family uh, took in a new foster uh, boy who's two years old, and so we've been uh, um, loving having him in our home, but it's also just a crazy time to, to take in uh, a new foster baby. Uh, this last week that's brand new this week, our youngest daughter, who just hobbled herself out of the room, broke her leg, and so she's in a full leg cast, and so uh, that's new, and you might think that would slow her down but it hasn't and so I was working uh, upstairs in uh, my office this last week and all of a sudden my door pops open and she just comes (laughs) like slithering in on her arms and just one leg like something out of a horror movie or like the Terminator and so she's still Getting around, you can't slow her down, you can't stop her, and so that's been a little bit crazy for us as well, and so um, our oldest is doing well, wife's hanging in there, um, but just a lot of changes, and a lot of changes for our church over the past four and a half years. Those of you guys who were with us last year, remember, it was our first weekend inside of the DAC, and now we are having to meet this way, but God continues to uh, do a work of, of gospel transformation, he continues to do a work of gospel awakening, and he continues to do a work inside of our church in light of all that's happened. I was reminded uh, through pre-service prayer this morning by Ben um, Hollerin that the church is not a building. So even as we meet in this unique way of meeting, that the church is a body, it is a people. And so um, I, I pray that during this unique time that, uh, that, that you would feel the presence of Christ even as we meet like this online. So we have one announcement before we dive into the word this morning. And the announcement is this, that if you are not a part of a gospel community, which is our church's small groups, uh, that it is it is like the backbone for our church. And so uh, we value community. It's in our name. And so we want you to be a part of community. We still have communities that meet right now. In fact, we have uh, two communities that meet on Monday night. We have uh, both those that meet at 630. We have one that meets on Tuesday um, at 630 as well two on Wednesday at 6.30 and then one on Thursday at 7 p.m. And so if you are not a part of a community and you want to get plugged into a community, then I would invite you to, uh, to email Hunter at the email address on the screen. And you can email Hunter at hunter at gccugene.org uh, and you can email her just inquiring about gospel communities. Or if you have any other questions or any prayer requests right now, we invite you to, to email her and you can send that information to her or get plugged into a gospel community. With that, we're going we're to dive into God's word. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans. We're taking a week, from, uh, a week away from the series that we're doing of Praying People, and we're going to be in the book of Romans this morning. So if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, looking at verses 31 through 39. Give you just a minute to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. The main point this morning that I want you to walk away with remembering, and and, and I want this in in your head, and I want it to, uh, to sink down into your hearts and into your souls is this, is the gospel causes all things to fade into the background. The gospel causes all things to fade in the background. We need that. We need the message of hope. We need the message of good news. We need the message of gospel right now in light of everything that's going on. And that's what Easter points us to, reminds us of, is that the gospel causes all things to fade into the background. So, real quick, just where, where we find ourselves because we're jumping into the uh, kind of the middle of a letter this week, and so just to give you guys a little uh, uh, just a summary of what Romans has covered so far is that Romans is this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and it's actually at its core and for the first eleven chapters, it is showing that there is no hope for salvation apart from jesus christ that is what paul is addressing he spends 11 chapters basically unpacking the gospel unpacking salvation showing that we do not measure up to god's standard and so if we think that there's something that we can do or a right way we can live our life to get right with god then then we are missing the gospel which means good news and the good news is that this letter over and over again the apostle paul points us to the fact that we need jesus christ to give us salvation. Our, our only hope to be made right with God, to be reconciled with God is through Jesus Christ and through what he has done. So that's what he's doing. And, and uh, where he's left off in, in chapter eight, just prior to this, is he's talked about us being co-heirs with Christ. He talks about the future glory that we'll get to share with Christ. But he also says in Romans 8, 28, he talks about God using everything that's going on in our lives for the good uh, of those who love God. So Paul is unpacking these beautiful truths that we have in Christ and that are now ours in Christ as co-heirs with Christ, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And so with that, we pick up today in uh, verse 31 through 39. So I'll read it. You can either follow along on the screen or in your Bibles at home. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, as distracting as it can be to meet in our homes, that you would speak to us that you would minister to us. That we would walk away with whatever's going on in our life and and, and in our circumstances that we find ourselves in. I I pray that all of that would uh, would fade in the background, that Jesus Christ, who you are, Lord, what you've done, what you've accomplished would take the center stage of our lives. That things would be drowned out because we are focused in on who you are and what you've done. Father, uh, bring glory to yourself through your word this morning, through the declaring of Jesus, through the, the declaring of the good news. Speak to me, and through me, Holy Spirit, and exalt Jesus, make him the hero for your glory, Father. We need you, and we pray this, that you would minister, that you would heal, that that you would touch, that you would encourage, but also to this time you would provide for those that are hurting and those that are grieving, those that are financially strained right now. We pray um, that you would bless them and provide for them. We thank you for the hope that you will never abandon those that are yours, Father, that your love is faithful as you are, steadfast. Meet with us and speak to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I don't exactly remember when, but my wife and I were at a counter somewhere looking to make a purchase or something. And I'll just say that I think I have a pretty good poker face. And, and a good poker face comes in handy for when people get you gifts or for dinner meals or just for stuff like that. It's, it's good to have a good poker face. And I think I have a pretty solid poker face. I think my wife would attest to this. Here's what I don't have a good poker face for. Men who have long nails and men who have long nails with dirt underneath them. I just, I, I can't hide my emotions or my expressions in that moment. And uh, Allie, uh, my wife, and I found ourselves at a counter a couple years ago, and there was a gentleman who was talking to us about something. Maybe it was a device. I'm so traumatized, traumatized by the experience, I don't even fully remember all the details or what he said. But I remember he was talking to us and maybe showing us something. But I remember as soon as his, his hands and his nails came into sight, uh... I, I just lost focus to everything that was going on. I, I just, all I saw at that moment was nails. And I was consumed by nails. It took the center stage. I was captivated. I was consumed. Everything that he said in that moment from then on faded into the background. It faded into background uh, noise. I just couldn't focus on anything. I was just consumed by that. And then when we walked away, <laughs> my wife turns and looks at me and goes, uh, how are you doing with that one? Because she, she knows how I can't handle long fingernails. And so unless you're a guitarist or just openly a witch, I just think that we should take the 90 seconds and trim up our nails. But in this case, that's all I could see, that's all I could focus on. And I believe what's going on this morning is what Paul is trying to do and get us to focus on and get us captivated, is he's trying to show us the beauty of the gospel, the beauty, the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done so that we are captivated by that, we are consumed by that, and so that everything else in our lives draws and fades into the background noise. And so we see this starting in verse 31, uh, Paul's asking questions and he asks a lot of these questions throughout this uh, uh, chunk that we're covering today. These are rhetorical questions for Paul. These are like, come on, like duh type questions that we should know because Paul's saying in light of everything I just told you, co-heirs, the work that God is doing, the work that God has done, what then shall we say to these things? In verse 31, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And honestly, that might be just the thing that some of you guys need to hear this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? Because for many of us, we might believe that there's a situation or circumstance going on in our life, and and the presence of that means that God is with us. But Paul is saying, look, if God is for us, the God of the universe is for us, then who can be against us? I believe that David understood this. As we see in Psalm 23, he says, as I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he knew that God's presence was with him. And so for many of us this morning, the first thing that we need to know, we need to preach to ourselves, we need to hear this day in and day out, time after time, is that God is not against those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, who are his children, that God is for us. And he is for his children. He is for us. And I think for people who long for approval, that sometimes we live our lives constantly longing for the approval of others, so much so that we can't even live or love people because we're actually not seeking to do things to love people. We're actually seeking to do things to love ourselves because we want the approval of someone else. For those of us that long for this approval, that, that live our day, uh, days thinking about how I can gain approval, we need to know and understand that we have the divine approval of God as his children and that anything that comes into our lives, we can remember that it is only by a God who is for us that that, that is there and that is present with us. And so I think this is good in case you've lost a job, in case you're going through sickness, or in case you've lost a loved one, depression, anxiety, COVID, whatever's going on, we can rest in that God is not against us, but God is for us. And that's what Paul takes us to. And the more that we understand that God is for us, the more that we understand that God is not against us, then his approval and his assurance will cause all things to fade into the background noise because we are focused on on, on God being for us. And again, some of us need to hear that this morning. Some of us need to hear that because, as I said, we are longing for someone to just approve of us. Some of us go, well, my life stinks right now, and you have no idea, but I do know this, is that God's word says that no matter what, God is for you. And so as as, uh, crummy and as horrible as your life might be, what you can rest in is the most important being in all the universe is for you and loves you. Verse 32 is this. Paul, another question. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so here Paul asks another question. So what is the proof that God is for us? It's in verse 32 now. How do we know that God is for us and not against us? Paul tells us, this is simple for Paul. He's like, "If, if, if God was not for you, God was against you, then why in the world would he not spare his own son? Why in the world did he not spare his own son? Why did he give his own son? Why, why did he prove his love for you? The greatest proof that we have that God is for us, that we have the approval of God, that God is not against us, but that God loves us is the fact that he did not spare Jesus Christ, his only son. You have to think as a loving parent, how much you love your children. And there is nothing you would do to sacrifice your child. You would sacrifice yourself. We have to know and understand this, is that if we're questioning whether God is good or God is for us or God loves us, the one act that God gave us for all eternity that proves his love for us, that proves that he is good, is that he didn't spare Jesus Christ. If he was ever gonna walk out, if he was ever gonna abandon you, if he was ever gonna stop, he would have stopped here, but he did not. As I just mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, we recently adopted a, a two-year-old, uh, I'm sorry, we're, we recently started fostering a two-year-old boy. And I was talking with my wife yesterday and saying this, that um, he's had so many people in and out of his life, probably people um, who have told uh, him that, uh, that he is loved or that they love him. Um, but quickly, those people have left and abandoned him. He's been told things, probably made promises to, and, and even at such a young age, can start to question actually who does love him. And a lot of times we can hear words, but words are hollow unless they are proven through an action that that absolutely proves someone's love. God has proven that, uh, that his words are not hollow, that he is for us, not against us, that he infinitely loves us, why? Through this act, through his actions, his actions prove his love for us. Can we trust God? Absolutely, because he gave us Jesus Christ. He did not spare his own son. Maybe this is good for us to hear because we've been heard, or we've had people come in and out of our lives and make promises to us, or people that, uh, um, that, that have hurt us, so we struggle to trust. And so we project that on God, but God says, look at this. This is what Paul says, look at this. This is the one act where God did not spare his own son. He proved it for all eternity. And the more that we focus in on this divine act of God to not spare his son, the more that our life and what's going on fades into the background. It becomes background noise and and it fades out because what we do is we meditate on this act of love that God has shown and done for us to be reconciled to him. Next verse, verse 33. More questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is what uh, Paul's asking now. He's switching into this courtroom language. He's like, who can bring a charge against God's child, God's loved one, his elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, look, Easter message here, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Again, Paul is taking us to who Christ is and what Christ has done. He's using courtroom language here now. We need to understand this, that right now, you, you, you might hear, God is for you, and God did not spare his own son. But you might feel guilty or shameful or dirty or gross about something you've done in your life. And so what we need to hear and what we need to know is that there has, there, there has been a trial that has taken place. There has been a trial that has been taking place. And the first trial that we actually see in the Bible is with Adam and Eve. And God tries them and, and, and he tries the serpent and he pronounces them guilty. And then there's a punishment, but there's also a promise Fast forward several thousand years, and there's another trial that takes place because a man named Jesus Christ showed up on the scenes, and he walked this earth in complete and perfect obedience, but yet he found himself under a trial before Pontius Pilate and before Herod facing criminal charges that he did not do, and so Jesus is facing this trial, and, and, and there's a trial that stands, and he is said to be guilty. Now, honestly, I think this trial is not one at all that Jesus is concerned with because Jesus knows there's a, traitor, a greater trial coming for him. And what happens is ultimately Jesus does take the stand, but his stand becomes a cross and it becomes nails where, where, where he is lifted up. And the greater trial is coming. The earth turns dark, the judgment is coming because the great judge is coming. What is he coming for? He is coming against humanity's sin against him he is coming against our rebellion and disobedience with god and ultimately the greatest trial was this trial that jesus christ faced where the just judge is coming in the fullness of his wrath and punishment because he's good and holy against sin so the uh, the the sky goes dark and god's presence is at hand And this is the trial that Jesus has faced, where in that moment, the full measure of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. uh, Christ. He went to trial. He stood in our place. He was declared guilty, shameful, sinful. And in that, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we are declared, as Paul says here in these verses, we are declared righteous, guiltless, shameless, and sinless. And so the ultimate trial took place, and and here's what's crazy, is if you've ever done something good and someone else got your credit in life, that is really hard. It's happened to me, it's been hard that someone else got the credit for what I did, but here's the reality, is that Jesus Christ got the cross for all our sin and rebellion, and we got his credit. So he gets the cross, we get his credit. That means that every good thing that Jesus Christ has ever, or, or did do in his life, that is fully credited to us. And so when when we live and when we live our lives, the, the full creditation of his life is given to us. So that when God sees us, he sees the life of Christ, the obedience of Christ, the perfection of Christ. All of that is credited us. So he gets the cross, we get his credit every day, day in and day out, every second of the day. Christ's perfect righteousness was imputed to us, it was given to us. And so where we look for a trial is we don't look to our lives. We look to the trial that took place 2,000 years ago and that's where ultimately Jesus Christ was tried for us. And we will either be tried by God and where we will take the stand or we will trust in the trial that took place 2,000 years ago where Jesus Christ was tried in our place. But you need to hear this. As Paul says with these questions, who, who is to condemn? Who is to bring any charge against God's elect? Is that no one can bring a charge against you once you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no je- double jeopardy in God's courtroom. Once he's declared you righteous, once the gavel has come down, that is a once and for all declaration over your life. You wear and you bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so who can condemn you? No one can because if the enemy or someone comes and brings a charge to God, God does what, 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 in a sense, we see in our courtrooms today. As the attorney stands up and says, objection your honor, they can hear this from the judge, overruled or denied. So any charge that's brought against us is overruled and denied because God doesn't look to a contract or a piece of paper. He looks to a person, Jesus Christ, to his life, to his death. But also, as we see here, Paul says this in verse 34, more than that, who was raised... God looks to the victory of Jesus Christ. Christ didn't just have words to say it is finished. He proved that it is finished when he walked out of the grave. And he is seated at the right hand of God where he actually prays for us. And so what's going on is this. Is that if we want to look more like Christ, we need to look more at Christ. We need to be, be consumed by Christ's victory. That, that, that we are not who we are. We are not what's been done to us. If we want to look more like Christ, then we need to look to the accomplishment of Christ, not not our defeat, not our loss with sin, but his accomplishment and his victory over sin. That's where we need to look. If we want to look more like Christ, again, we need to look more at Christ. When he walked out victorious, what we need to know is that victory was granted to us, that that we are not our uh, defeat with sin, that we are his conquering and his victory over sin. This will cause our lives, our sin, everything else to fade into the background as his victory takes center stage in life. That's what Easter is about. We have a living hope. We have the one who walked out of the grave, who's conquered our greatest threat. Verse 35 and 36 says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So Paul asks this question, can anyone separate us from the love of Christ? Can it happen? Can anyone separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus? And then he goes on to list uh, or or name a list of things. Can any of these things separate us? No, because what Paul is actually doing, again, is he's bringing attention to that we have something greater than tribulation. We have something greater than sickness, than, than death. We have something greater than all this. We have the love of Christ. There is nothing, child of God, that you can do to separate yourself from the love of Christ. There is nothing in your life, any circumstance. Notice that Paul doesn't pray for us to get out or for the church in Rome to get out. He, he doesn't say, God change their circumstance. He's not doing that. Paul doesn't do that in any of his letters. He, he's trying to show them what they have. They have the love of Christ. And ultimately, if that's your greatest need to be reconciled to God, uh, to God and be loved by God, then Paul is saying, look, you have this. You have this. And no matter what you're going through, you have this. But honestly, our world loves comfort. We are people who love comfort. And so anything that makes us feel uncomfortable, we push back against it. We try to remove its presence from our lives. We try to pray against it. We try to do whatever we can to make ourselves feel competent or to get rid of the discomfort in our lives. Honestly, I think that's why, and these are rough numbers. I think that's why there's roughly two two billion people in the world that call themselves Christians, and there's 153 orphans worldwide, and there's 258 million widows worldwide, and yet there's two billion people that call themselves Christians, and in the U.S. alone, there's 167 million. Granted, not everyone that calls is a Christian is a Christian, but we can see something like this, that there's this massive need going on, but there's so many so-called Christians in the world. Why is it? I think it's because we love comfort. And uh, tribulation or distress or uh, persecution can show us how much we don't like discomfort. And Paul is trying to show us that you actually have something better in your life than the idol of comfort. You have something that gives you comfort in the midst of the greatest discomfort you have because what you have is a love of Christ. You're reconciled to God. Nothing can separate you from his love. And he is with you in the midst of whatever you're going through in this life. And the more that we dwell on and focus on and the infinite love of God then I think that what it does is it drowns out everything else and makes it fade in the background noise and into the background because Christ and his love is what takes center stage in our life we have something greater we, 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 we don't need a degree we don't need the perfect marriage we don't need the perfect family we don't need out of situations and circumstances. what we need to know is that in the midst of them we have a God who never stops loving us and nothing can separate us from his love Let's look at verses 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What what does Paul say here? He says, no, based upon everything that I've just said, based upon God's divine approval that you have, a God that's for you, based upon the trial that Jesus faced and that he was tried for you and that um, he took the cross and we took his credit, based upon the fact there's nothing that we can do to separate us from God's love, he says this, no, in all these things, and all these things that I've just mentioned and all these things that's been mentioned in the letter, we are uh, more than conquerors. He uses this more language again. He doesn't just say that, that, that you are victorious. He says you are more than victorious. Why? Because the approval and the trial and the victory and all that, that is Christ has become ours. And I think this is important because we don't just have a victory and, and then we yell victory over tribulation or the things we go through in our life. What we actually have is something greater than victory. What we are given is we are given the love of God in Christ, the fullness of it. And so we're not just uh, victorious over these things. What we are is we're made children, loved by God and victorious over these things as Christ walked out of the grave victorious over these things. Also, we need to see this, is that right now, if you're going through something in your life It might make you question whether if its presence is there, as we said from the beginning, because God is not for you or God does not love you, or maybe I have done something to make God not love me or to make God change his mind on me. I need you to hear this this morning. Once the trial happened and once you've been tried in Christ and and once Christ gives you the fullness of his righteousness and that's the robe you wear for eternity, then you need to read this passage and memorize it over and over and over again. For I am sure, verse 38, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death, look what he says here, nor anything else, he summarizes it, in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice. Paul, again, doesn't point to our awesomeness or to what we've done and all these things we are more than conquerors through our works, through our efforts, no, through him who loved us. And again, at the end of this, he points us to who? To Christ Jesus. Our love by God and our security by God is secured in Jesus Christ and what he has done in his victory, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection for what he's done. Our hope that we can be confident that nothing that we are facing in this life that we are going through is God's punishment for us is that the fact that God looks to Christ for us and for our righteousness And therefore, we can trust and rest in this, that whatever we're going through, as Jesus said, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Is that if God's provided our greatest need, then he will take care of our other needs as well. And the more that we focus on Christ and that he takes the center stage, then everything else will in our lives fade into the background. And here's the thing. Just like the guy with the nails, I would say this, is that one thing you can do right now is pray this is that lord there are other things that are taking center stage in my life my bickering and my complaining and all that's going on is because something else has taken center stage in my life please put that stuff and fade it out in the background by putting christ in front of me by putting the gospel in front of me the good news of who you are father what you've done in and through christ and who i am as a result of that i would say this then we live out of that with assurance and with confidence and hope if you are not a christian i want to say this this morning is, is, is the thing at center stage in your life that you give your love and your affections to, is it, is it a secure thing to put your hope and your affections and give your love to, or can it be shaken or removed in an instant? Because I can promise you this, that if Jesus Christ is at the center stage of your life, he cannot be shaken or removed, because as Paul said here, he's already been raised and he's seated at the right hand of God, and as long as Christ is at the right hand of God, which he will be for eternity, then our, we have a greater hope and a greater security in him. During this time right now, we're gonna transition into a time of giving, but also I'm gonna call the worship team to come up before I pray. I know we've been talking about this at Gospel Community Church, but I just wanted to give you guys an update so it comes from me, is that through the giving that's come in, I'm thankful for it and for the generosity that's been shown. We've been able to help out people inside of our community, small businesses, people with mortgage, groceries, and all sorts of stuff like that, is I know for some people, you're just not at a position to where you can give. And, and so we understand that. And, and if you're someone who's financially strained, we do want to hear from you through the uh, email we mentioned earlier. We wanna make sure that we're taking care of people in our community. But right now, we have a giving fund up at our page that is uh, gcceugene.org. And if you actually go there, um, you can give, and there's a tab to give there, and, and, and there's one that says Benevolence, and it's COVID-19, and if you give to that, 100% of the proceeds that are given to that, we're not taking any or going back into our community, and so if you're able to give, we would ask you to give. If you call GCC, your home and family, um, then, then please help support us in this way, uh, but if you're visiting with us or guests, we're not asking um, for your money. Also, there's two other ways you can give. Uh, you can give through the ch- uh, Church Center app. Um, And you can download this app, and it's a great way for you to give uh, cash if you're someone that normally does that, but it's just a great and easy way for you to give in general. And also our post office box, 41864, uh, Eugene, Oregon. You can make checks payable to Gospel Community Church. And so um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to the worship team. I'm going to pray, and then we'll let them close us out uh, with a song called Reckless Love of God. Uh, Real quick, we're not saying that God is reckless. We're saying from the world standard, the way that God loves those that are in Christ seems reckless because his love and his glory is that great. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for Christ, our living hope. We thank you for your love that looks reckless. And I pray that everything in our lives would fade into the background because of what Christ has done and who he's made us. In Jesus' name, amen.